on this, you can stand to your feet as Brother Carl will begin to put on the our scripture for tonight coming from First Timothy and Titus chapter one. Here we go. First Timothy three. This saying is a trustworthy. Spoke on that last week, meaning you should pay attention to this. This is important. Paul is saying if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. And an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-control, sensible, respectable, hospitable and able to teach. Not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not coarsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Titus 1, 5 through 9. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. And an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. And as an overseer, of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-control, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. New thing, switching it up. I'm going to read the first part, the grass withers and the flowers fade, and then you guys read the last part, and then you guys can have your seat. Here it goes. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. Come Holy Ghost. That's what they say in the old Black Baptist Church. I don't know why they say Holy Ghost. Why not just say Holy Spirit? But it's the same one, same person. Nothing spooky about it. Holy Ghost. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 says there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every matter under heaven. And as a church here that started eight years ago unofficially, Meaning when Sandra and I relocated here eight years ago and seven years ago officially, meaning that we went through a process where the presbytery made up of ordained elders they didn't self-ordain themselves like I'm just a pastor and I'm just going to a bathroom and put the sign across on my head and say I'm an elder. They didn't do it that way. There was a process to it with other men standing around 
Father, we don't know what this noise is coming from, but we rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you remove all the distractions. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you for it now. Amen. Lord, we can't get our builders soon enough. <sighs> Ordained elders gave their, uh, and then eight years, seven years ago, um, within the presbytery, they gave their, their blessings for us to move ahead as a missions church. And God willing, one day, by his grace, we would become a particularized church, which basically means we would have our own localized elders and deacons. These appointed and elected elders are done by the congregation, which makes up what we call from our elders a session that shepherds the flock of God according to the will of God until the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ himself, appears. We as a missions church plant here in Fairfield, Alabama, have reached that important stage in our tenure here as a missions church. It's time for us to go through the process of electing elders and deacons just like churches have done down through the generations. But before we delve into the qualifications of elders, which I've read to you earlier, I want to make sure we all understand what it would mean by the concept of church. Elders and pastors and bishops and overseers. And how all of this fits into your life as a Christian and a follower of the true Messiah. And so some of you may have gotten a phone call, you may have gotten a text, and some of you, oh, you notice we're not uh, filming it. And so if people really want to be able to hear, they can go on podcast. We do have it at www.urbanhopecc.com. We have our podcast and you can listen to it. But here at Urban Hope, we take the meeting together very seriously. And we know that we're in some strange times, but nevertheless, we know that our God reigns and he's in, he's in sovereign control over all of the things that takes place in this world. And therefore, we can't find any scriptures where God says, because of what's going on in the world, I forbid you guys not to come together. But in fact, he says, um, us not to forsake together of coming together as in the manner of some had done. God wants his people to meet in the community because it's in the community of faith where God meets his people through the preaching and the teaching of the word. And so therefore, you may have gotten some phone calls because we wanted people to understand the weightiness of this thing called church. This is not a something that I know we're in a changing times and folks look at it like it's a social club. But no, this is serious business. There's nothing more important than the church. Nothing. It is what is God's way of how he redeems the world. It's through this mechanism, this local community called the church. And so therefore, we wanted people to know how important this was. We wanted to make sure that over the next four weeks that we get our core group of members here, especially those who have made um, um, join our church and proper professions of faith. 
and that we want you to be here because we don't we don't want you to miss out on anything because you are need to going to have to need to vote. And so therefore you need to be here. Understand what is being said so you can you can add your part to it because the angels are watching. Our Lord is watching. And so therefore we sent out that email. Reminding us all the importance of being in. Biblical community. We really want our young church to understand church in the overall perspective of life itself. Church is important because it is where the risen Christ is revealed through the preaching of his word and the teaching of his word. And this is where our first slide shows up where Paul makes this point here about the importance of, of church. First Timothy 3, 14 and 16, the mystery of godliness. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon, Paul says. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, not in your home, not in your hotel, but in God's household, among the people gathered together on the Lord's day how they ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Here it is. What's so important about this church? Paul says the pillar and foundation of truth. We live in a world where lies are coming every way in every direction. The church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. This is why this is the word of God. This is true. And let every man be a liar. But God is not a liar that he needs to repent. The church is a dispository of the truth of God. Now, I know a lot of preachers take it and abuse it, but the church, as God has ordained it, it is the truth of God's word where God's word is preached. Because unto ourselves, we lie to ourselves. We can tell ourselves all kinds of stuff. But if a man is worth his salt, he should be under the direction of the Holy Spirit and preaching, thus saith the Lord. God's word. And so Paul says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He Jesus was manifested in the flesh, the Christmas story. God moved into our neighborhood and we beheld his, his, his glory, John says, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations and believed, believed on in the world and taken up in glory where he now sits to the right hand of the majesty of his heavenly father. That's the message that the church brings to this world. And Paul says, this, the pillar of truth, and within the church of the living God, God has established leaders in his church. Carl, take me back to Titus 1 and 5. 
And Titus, which is written by Paul, tell us in all the churches, and Paul planted a lot of churches, in all the churches, he says, he tells Titus, the reason that I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. What was undone, Paul didn't get a chance to be able to do what he's now telling Titus to do. And I have directed you to do what? That's crucial. To appoint elders, plural, elders in every town. I want you to find some men, getting ahead of myself, some people, and I want you to appoint them. Not them appoint themselves, but you, Titus, to appoint elders in every church, in every town, in every city. And you read the New Testament slow and very carefully um, because we're a young church and many of us have come from many different backgrounds of church. And so we may have some confusion about what we mean by elders. But so I want to just try to, I don't want to go over anyone's head. I know some of us have been, we've been born Presbyterian, but some of us, we came in a little late like Johnny. So you got to give us time to catch up. <laughs> so you've been eating at the king's food table with good theology for a long time. Some of us have been eating at slop jars. We didn't know what we were getting. <laughs> we had Susie Q. She was a pastor. We had Jesse Jones. He was a pastor. We don't know what they were. So some of us, we just got to slow it down, understand what it is that we call church so we can catch up with those of you who are the smartest and the brightest among us here today. But here we see in Titus, Paul says, I want you to appoint elders, plural. And sometimes in the New Testament, writers, they use this word elder, pastor, bishop, and overseers interchangeably, which basically says all of these titles, man, I did not know this for a long time. Thank God for Greek people and Hebrew people who actually read the original language because I didn't know any of this stuff when I was in church. So you go around saying Bishop Jakes, Bishop Jakes has no more. Well, I'm explaining it to you. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. But Paul and the writers of the New Testament writers, they use these words, elder, pastor, bishop, overseer, interchangeably. But all of these titles refer to the same person in the same office. And at higher levels or anything like that. But I know there are multiple denominations that say that they are. So if the guy came through the doors with a nice robe or y'all all bow down and say, that's Bishop Jojo Jones. Meaning he's walking on air or something. <laughs> no. These words all mean the same person in the same office. Pastor Shepherd is the Greek word porming. So we get the word shepherd, overseer, and bishop is the Greek word episkopos, where we get episcopal, church. And the word elder in Greek is the word presbyteros, where we get the word presbytery for us who are in the PCA, Presbyterian. So an elder is nothing more but a presbyteros, 
That's all he is. And all of these words, Paul used them. You see them throughout the New Testament. They were all used interchangeably, meaning the same person in the same office. Now, these men that Paul tells Titus in all the churches, these men exemplify what Jesus says here in my second slide from Luke chapter 14. These men all exemplify, at least they should. Here it goes. Now, great crowds were traveling with him. Who? Jesus. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, not your good life, not your best life, not your plans, not your purposes, hate your own life, get what he has for you to do, that right there, leave half of the church folks out. Jesus telling me what to do with my life, I quit. I stop and go back that way. Go, as they say, down south where I'm from, I am in the south, but back and started, go that way yonder. <laughs> Jesus says, hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, King Jesus, not the Jesus that we've been given, this Jesus who demands total 100% obedience and God has ordained in his church men who have a heart to do just that. And this is basic Christianity. Come after me. Jesus says he cannot be my disciple. That's just basic Christianity. Elders are called to exemplify normal Christianity in a world that seeks to, after their own lust, their own self-preservations, their own comforts, their own desires. But elders are those who are called to exemplify normal Christianity. And being a good disciple of Christ in this world, in this short life, in this short sojourner, pilgrim life, you as an elder and all of us, but the elders must understand this. Just being a disciple of Christ, they must understand this, which is my third slide. Here it goes from 1 John 2. A warning about the world, because we all live in the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The world, cosmos, the fallen world, the world that Jesus says hates him, that world, that world that's animosity towards Jesus, that world that John spells out so well. An elder must understand this in all of what he knows. Do not, first of all, do not love the world. Do not get caught up in it. All the things in the world. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Now that's easy said than done. Because a lot of folks get caught up in the world. And Jesus says they lose their own soul. 
But if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the flesh, what I can see, the material goods and all of that, the lust of the eyes, the eyes is never full of sin, new styles, new this, trying to keep up with everything, what the world says and the pride. In one's possessions, what you got in your bank, Doc? What's your 401k, Doc? What's your pride? What's your, what's your, how you going to live when you get old, Doc? I mean, it's just constantly coming at you. You have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring, but that stuff is constantly coming at us all the time. And so if it gets in us, we can lose sight of what the word of God is telling us. What you going to do, Doc? How much money you going to make? It's all about money. What you got? What you going to drive? Man, I want this. I want this house. It's all the things of this world that John says, and the world with its lust. Here, this is truth. It's all passing away. Here's the thing. Next time you go to the funeral, look in the casket and see if you see in $100 bills in there. Just look in there real carefully. In fact, take out that cheap iPhone you got and just take a picture of it. Because iPhones are cheap. Androids are real expensive. <laughs> so I, have a, I don't have an iPhone. Just look in there. Pick the body up. Look around. Look underneath the feet and just see if any money's in there. See if you find any certificates of 401k retirement plans. It's all passing away. That's what John is saying. It's all passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. So the elders, they need to know that. So therefore, 1 Timothy 3 says when a, a man you can put Timothy up now, Carl. First Timothy 3, 3, 1 and 7. When a man aspires, first of all, so this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. This Greek word aspires means to eagerly desire to accomplish some goal or purpose, to strive to attain, to aspire to, to eagerly long for. This Greek word desire here means to greatly desire to do or have something. The word noble here refers to an honorable position. It's an honorable thing for a man to aspire and desire this thing called an elder and overseer. It's an honorable position. We're going to come back to this word um, aspire and desire. But before these individuals can be accepted as elders, they need to meet some qualifications that Paul here in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that he has spelled out for us. So you as a congregation know what to look for 
and how to go about knowing um, or representing to you some some, um, quality, quantifiable individuals. And the first thing Paul tells us that this individual, Paul says he needs to be above an overseer, elder, episcopos. Therefore, must be above reproach. Meaning, he must have a good Christian witness within the church community and outside the church community. His moral character must be above reproach. Can't have stories going on about him that he's not um, faithful in his sexual ethics. I'm going to jump ahead of myself on this so I just because I have to say it. All of these characteristics I'm going to read to you, they're not gifts. God gives us gifts by spirit. This is talking about character. There are lots of men who can preach but have no character. Their names are in the mud all over the community, inside and outside. And this is the first thing Paul says, and this is the most important one, that his name must be above. You can't have stories out there that are in the airways and the byways and the highways about the man of God. He must be above reproach. Can't have his hands getting caught in the cookie jar. Paul is not talking about sinless perfection. But he is setting the bar high. I want to make that point. And this is why I want to get to the end of this. He is setting the the bar really high. In this, with this character qualification. Second thing Paul says that he must be the husband of one wife. Now there's been volumes written on this. The guy's gotten divorced one time before he even knew Jesus. Because if you read the Bible, these folks was getting saved out of all kinds of stuff. They had all kinds of lifestyles. But folks say, well, no, you couldn't, you couldn't, you had to, had to, had to know Jesus before you knew Jesus. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But what he's basically saying in the Greek, literally, is what he's saying is um, husband of one wife, he can't be married to more than one wife at the time, and it does not negate single men. So single men can be elders. And overseers. But the Greek here in this one wife literally says a one woman man. And so a man that is married to one woman. Self-control. Sensible, sober minded, temperate, which means he's even keel, stable. Not up and down, hot, angry, mad. Don't know where, where, where he's coming from. Hey, what's wrong with you? You just never know. I mean, as soon as you say something to him, he, he, he just might want to hit you in your eye or something. And you're going to see this when it says, don't be a bully. You got some bully elders. Now, I'm a big guy, so I make sure when I go in the rooms, people say, I'm a loud guy. But y'all, some of y'all know me, man. I'm a, I ain't nothing but a jelly bean. I look big, but I ain't tough at all. I love Jesus, but I'm not tough. I want to fight you in the streets, put out my gun and shoot you. That's not PA. 
self-control, stable, not prone to extremes, no rash behavior or judgments. Just making judgments quickly, off the hammer. Woo, woo, woo. And just, you know, Paul says he got to be self-control, sensible, sober-minded, temperate. He has to be respectable, good behavior, good deeds towards others in the church and in the community. Paul says of this elder who desires to be an elder, hospitable, able to teach, lead a Bible study, teach Sunday school, and preach from the pulpit. Showing hospitality is a way of life. A people person, able to teach the scriptures, he must not be an excessive drinker. Every time you see him, he's drunk. Drinking in the morning. Cheap Walmart wine on his breath. At 12 o'clock. So there's lots of debates on that. Should you not drink at all? I don't think that's what it's saying. I'm saying you have to do this in moderation. But you can't be dependent upon it. Only thing you got in you is the Holy Spirit. You're not dependent on any of that stuff. So not an excessive drinker, not quarrelsome, hot tempered, always trying to get the last word. That's what this quarrelsome means. Always being the devil's advocate in every conversation. Well, let me play the devil's advocate. You just can't never unify. It's being in unity with the group. Now, let me play the devil's advocate. Always on the other side of the room. Everybody's going left. No, no, I'm going to go right. What about, the, what about the, let me play the devil's advocate. Just quarrelsome. No people like that. Not good people that should be elders. Always dominating the discussion and easily angered. Paul says, no, not sinless perfection, but can't be a quarrelsome easily angered type of person. I got it, number eight here, not greedy. Now this is, this, is, this is a strong one in our times. Not driven by prosperity, riches, and material gains that are passing away. Not a lover of money. In fact, they understand Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus says, you cannot serve both what? Mammon and who? Elder has set his affections right. Money is a means that God has put in this world, but it's not everything. So he must be one who understands that. And then this one, Carl, go up to um, verse, keep going to the next slide. I'm going to show you what it is. All right, right here, verse four. Says, this guy must, he must manage his own family or his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, why is that so important? 
How will he take care of God's church? So part of this guy's job is his family is the beginning of the test and the trials that he must figure out for his prayer life, how he leads his wife and his children. If his wife won't follow him, if his wife would not submit to his leadership, if his children don't submit to his leadership and they won't follow him, how can he do it in the house of God? So you don't have to get into the point about where it should be, which we're going to get into in the third week. Women elders, well, how you deal with this text? And you see how the devil is? He makes it all confusing. But unless Paul was drinking cheap Walmart wine that didn't even exist back then, he didn't know what he was talking about. And that's why they beat up on Paul and say he's a male chauvinist. He doesn't like women because he wrote all this kind of stuff. But this is why we say this is the word of God. It doesn't fade away, hasn't been tampered with, hasn't changed. So he must manage his own household well. Children listens to him. Men who lead well in their homes, I put here in my notes because all the challenges that, will, that he would encounter in his home will basically be some of the same challenges that we would encounter in the church. And then last one here says, he must not be a new convert. Guy just got saved. He can sing good, dresses nice, comes in, and we make him an elder. No. He needs to have some skin in the game. I'm 54. been walking with the Lord for almost now since I was 24. I've seen a few things. I understand how pride works. How a guy started beating his chest. So that's why Paul said he must not be a recent convert and fall into the same trap of the devil who became conceited and said, I got this. I don't need you no more, God. That's the biggest problem you see in Christianity now among seeing these young people getting platforms, a gospel coalition, they're 23 years old. And we're wondering why they're turning away from the faith now. They put a microphone because he can rap and say, hey, you know what you're talking about. Now he don't believe anything he said five, 10 years ago. This is why God said, don't do that. Don't put young people up like that. You set them up for failure because the Bible says they will fall and become conceited. Meaning they think they know what they know and they're 24 or 25 or 26. They haven't done anything. They haven't gone through. They haven't been tested by the spirit of God when God allows you to go through some stuff to see if you really have a, a true, genuine profession of faith. Or is it just because you went to school, got a degree, some put it on there, you would now have qualified from such and such university. In God's economy, that it's okay, but it don't mean that much to God. God's looking at the heart. He's looking at the character. What you do when no one else is looking. No one else can see it. So Paul says he must not be a new convert or he become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. And furthermore, I speak about, spoke about this all the time. He must have a good reputation among the outsiders. That's important. What are people saying about this person that are not a part of Urban Hope Church? What do they say? Not what we say. What does the community say? Family members say. Those things are important. Now, so we got community, so I got to move ahead. Can't linger on some of this stuff. So I say, Dion, I know you're a good prayer, man, but you got to keep it short tonight. I need all the time I can get. So here it is. 
Why would a man aspire and desire this noble task based on all the stuff I just read to you? Why would a person just wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I, I just like to try that. <laughs> I just like to lose sleep and take on the major responsibility of shepherding others and all of their problems, and all of their issues going on. Getting phone calls at all the wee hours of the night. I just, I just, I just, I'm just built for that. Persevering through the constant scrutiny that your wife and your children will undergo. What you drive, what you can't drive. You know, if somebody gave me a really nice car, like I said, somebody gave, came up to me and said, Pastor Hardy, you're a big guy. We just want to give you um, one of them fancy trucks. What's that truck do you like, Dion? Range Rover. I probably wouldn't take it. Just because I know the, st the, the stereotypes I would get. So why would a person just take on that? Now, if I was working on my own job and I'm working at, with FedEx or something, making my own money, I drive what I want to drive. You can't say where I get it from. I just, but that comes with it. The responsibility to the, be at the church at all times and on call for whatever situations or circumstances that may come about, like church discipline of a member, marriage intervention and counseling, early mornings of prayer and balancing it all while leading your own family. And our elders, we get up at 6 o'clock, 6.30, meet for prayer. Why would a person desire that? What's in their hearts that they would want to just do through and go through all of that? My answer here, is it because they are imitating and following the true shepherd? According to John 10, 11, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He says that no one takes his life, but he lays it down on his own so that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued from that eternal separation from God. Who are these elders that they desire? Where's that desire coming from? That this aspiration, Paul says, to desire and aspire to be an overseer. Where is that motivation coming from? I would make the argument that they understand this story. That their life is not their own. That they've been bought with a price. They've come to the point that they're not chasing after the filthy lucre of this world that is passing away. And just like our Lord that went before us, who pursued not his own desires, Though he was in the garden, he could have called a million angels and could have rescued himself. But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will. I would make the argument that these elders that aspire and desire to be shepherds over God's people are being motivated by their shepherd who died and gave his life for us. And God laid it out in front of us. When he was beaten, he was bruised, he was spit upon, he was talked about, he was mocked. 
He didn't lose his temper. He didn't throw a fit. He didn't come down off of the cross and hit one of the Roman soldiers with his fist and spit on him and say, who you know I am? Do you know I'm the son of God and you're hitting me? No, he kept his cool. He was even killed. While he was, he was plucking his beard, the word of God said he opened not his mouth. He was self-controlled. Though he had the power of the universe at his disposal. But he didn't. He said, it's not about me. It's about Alton. It's about Sandra, Cordell, Noah, and all those whom I'm calling. And the word of God says in Hebrew that he endured the shame. And in this world, God has set up a, within this thing called the church, thing called elders, shepherds, overseers, who take on that nature. We imitate him. It's not about me. It's not about what I like and dislike. It's not about how much money I'm going to get where I can't take with me. It's about his will and his kingdom. Because that's how we get this story. This is how we get this understanding. This is a story of sacrificial. That he died, that he bled. He gave his life. And he didn't have to. He did it voluntarily. That's why you see it in most churches. They say, let the elders come forward. And they institute the, the elements. Men who made a vow to live like the one who's gone on before us and who's the true shepherd. Which Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 25, I'll read. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, he didn't fickle out. He didn't get into a fit of rage and anger. But on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup and after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's why you see the elders come. Because of rules that we're abiding by, we're going to have the elders come. In fact, the only ordained elders here tonight that I know of is me and Pastor Chad. We've been 
we've gone through a process where we've been questioned and observed, and therefore, according to the guidelines, we have the blessings of our denomination to serve the elements. The word of God tell us who should come to this table. This table is for believers, not perfection, not perfect people. But do you believe in that story? Jesus manifested in the flesh, who came and died, vindicated by the spirit, now sits at the right hand of the father. Do you believe that from your heart? I'm not saying whether or not you are struggling with sins. That's a different thing. But do you believe that story at your heart that if someone came up to you and put a gun to your head, would you say, kill me because I believe that story? Then if you believe that story, this table is for you. The other warning is, if you say, pastor, I'm not there. Then I would ask of you as an elder that is ordained within the Presbyterian Church of America here at Urban Hope Community Church. If you're still struggling with that, you can meet with me or Pastor Chad with one of our leaders. We can talk with you. So hopefully one day in God's grace that you will be able to come to this table. If you're sitting here today and you're not sure about where you believe that story, then I would ask that you refrain from coming to the table tonight. But with that being said, let me pray and then Brother Mike is going to come and introduce you guys to come up and take it. And we can all take it at one time. And so please, when you get it, please don't open it up and eat. And we're going to do it at one time together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that you are the great shepherd, that you are the elder brother that went before us to show us the way of how we should live this life. But Lord, you knew that we would not be perfect, that we would fall and we do and we falter and we sin and we break your commands all the time. But I thank you, Father, that in Jesus Christ, that you have not left us to ourselves. But you always remind us it's not what we do, but it's what you have done on our behalf to save us from the greatest death of all death, that which is the eternal death. And you call us to this table to remind us when we are weak in our faith, when we have become overwhelmed with guilt and shame, and you call us back to the reality that you have done this great work and it is finished. I pray tonight that you would strengthen those who need to be strengthened. That you would bless us to know that it is the work of you that you have done this in us and through us. Encourage our hearts tonight to believe the gospel as we come to this table and we're able to taste it and we're able to see it by your grace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. AJ.
this bread is to remind us of Jesus' body. I asked the question over and over again. What would motivate men from generations to generations to, to live lives sacrificially for the good of others? Why would any Christian give their money away? I was reminded this week, as I saw the checks come in, I say this to the young people, some of you would be amazed what people who know this story, what they give. So when you understand the story, it's not enough. Because his body was bruised, it was beaten. And Jesus told us, as we eat this bread, that we remember that he did this for us. You eat. This wine, this cup, helps us to know that he shed real blood for the remission of our sins. That we would be engrafted into a new covenant, the covenant of his grace. The grace is grace to us, but it was death to him. And he didn't sin. He never disobeyed his father. And so why would elders live a life in front of the world? It's because they knew or they know that our good works in ourselves is not enough to save ourselves. That it was because of him that we all stand. So drink and remember his blood shed for you. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we thank you tonight for reminding us in, in this great sacrament that you've given to the church to always to remind us of what you've done for us, this great gospel story. Lord, I know that as we are processing our way through the scriptures on deacons and elders and deacons, some may be saying, well, I, 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 man, those are high standards. And Lord, I know men down through the generations will say, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, could, I know, Father, it's in the room. But I pray tonight, Father, that you remind those who, who know that they will be nominated. That you embed this reality on their hearts. It's not of them. But it's you by your spirit working in them. These characteristics that they would desire. To aspire. To be an overseer, a shepherd, an elder. In the church of God. 
Even for myself, Father, as I was reading through all of these characteristics, I was like, man, I'm a weak there, weak there. The tendency to want to try to run away. But God, I pray that we don't run, but that we run to our knees and we run to you, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we thank you for it tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, receive this benediction from Ephesians 3, verse 20. Here it goes. Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.